This season of the Curiosity Club podcast is sponsored by Simprove. Simprove is committed to furthering the understanding of the function and role of the gut microbiome by using a scientific approach to developing the most effective bacteria-based product. Put simply, Simprove helps to support your gut microbiome and balance your gut bacteria. What I love about it is its water-based formulation that contains four unique strains of live-activated bacteria – Because of this unique formulation, Simprove will not trigger digestion, meaning the bacteria will arrive to your gut unharmed and in full strength, survive the harsh acidic environment that is your stomach, and thrive in your gut to colonise successfully. Simprove's 12-week programme will give you the best chance of nourishing your gut bacteria and supporting your gut microbiome. The more I learn about gut health, the more important I realise it is. And I'm currently in my 12-week programme and I love knowing that I am supporting and topping up the good bacteria that lives within me. If you want to join me on your own programme, Simprove have been kind enough to give all you lovely curious folk a special 15% discount for a limited time using the code CuriosityClub15. Welcome to the Curiosity Club podcast, a safe place for the real life lessons that we didn't get taught in school. Each season, I have conversations with inspiring experts who share their wisdom around our seven peaks of curiosity. Together, we learn how to break the patterns, habits, and mindsets that limit our potential, hinder our happiness, and impact our well being. I'm your host, life and business coach Katri Barrett, and these are the life lessons for modern humans. Welcome to season two, episode nine. I cannot believe that we're on the penultimate episode of this season. The last nine weeks seem to have flown by and, well, time really feels fluid at the moment. Life during lockdown seemed to pass really, really slowly and then I feel like I blinked and two months have gone by. But never fear, we've got the penultimate episode today and then next week for the final episode it will be a solo one with yours truly so you can all look forward to that. But today I spoke to the host of the Vulnerable podcast, Alyssa Rochelle. She's also the founder of Ting, which is a consultancy that works to create safe spaces for marginalised people within the workplace and offers personal and professional development programmes to young black future leaders. I recently had the privilege of taking part in one of Ting's workshops about understanding diversity from an intersectional perspective, which was incredibly insightful and thought-provoking in my personal journey of learning how I can become anti-racist. As has all of Alyssa Rochelle's content over on Instagram, and I was really keen to invite her on here onto the podcast to explore how the different avenues of her work intersect and why she talks about what she does. She talks a lot about vulnerability, obviously, on her podcast. She founded Ting, and she's got her recent new series, 100 Ways to Heal, over on Instagram. And I was really keen to kind of dive into these areas with her. So, in our conversation for today's episode, we spoke about how courage, vulnerability, and anti-racism work intersect and influence one another as well as what it means to be courageous and why stepping into courage tapping into your courage and taking personal responsibility for your life can enable you to heal from anything that you've experienced any challenges along the way being courageous and taking that personal responsibility is really important and we dive into why and how today we also talk about the way that so many of us end up kind of spiritually bypassing ourselves and why it's so important to acknowledge this and how you can start acknowledge this and Alyssa Rochelle dives into the really important work that we all need to be doing to step into the anti-racism work and what I love about the way that she talks about it is that there is work to do before we can do the work in particular when it comes to releasing feelings of shame and guilt and how you can start mobilizing yourself to take action and ultimately create a better future for all of our ancestors so if you're listening to this and in particular if you're a white person listening to this and you know that you have been feeling guilty and feeling stuck in shame and not been showing up to the Black Lives Matter movement as much as you'd like to, you'd like to do more and you're curious about how and where and what biases you might be holding and where you're holding yourselves back, then I cannot recommend the work of Elizabeth Rochelle enough. I'm going to 
of course, link all of her uh, socials and websites and along with Ting as well in the show notes as always. And I hope that you learn as much as I do from this episode and from all of her work. As always, please take a screenshot and share on your Instagram stories, tagging us at the curiosity club underscore. I will see you next week. Enjoy this episode. Just a quick note, most of the interviews were recorded during lockdown over Zoom, which isn't the best for audio, so please do excuse the sound quality, we were doing the best with what we had. Welcome Rochelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, hi Katri, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, I've got a very sunny, hot day in London today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm here, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm not sure if I'm ready to go outside, if I should just stay inside and keep cool, I don't know. It's one of those 34 degrees in London makes you think, is it better with the windows open and closed? Yeah, yeah. We're not prepared for it ever. (laughs) To kick things off, can you start by giving us a little introduction to who you are, everything that you do, as I know there's a few different hats that you wear and what led you to this point today? So my name is Alyssa Rochelle. Um, I am founder of a company called Ting, which serves to create safe spaces for marginalized people within web spaces. Um, so there's like two parts of that company. We work with young people and train them to, um, we train them and give them support to kind of access really amazing opportunities within the creative industries. Um, and we support them by kind of like connecting them to like work experience, internships, putting them on personal development training programs. Um, but we also work with them on an individual basis so say for example if that young person um, is unable to access the opportunity because you know they, they they were having a difficult time in life then we connect them to therapists or we connect them to coaches or that that type of thing and then we work with companies as well um, to create the safe spaces on that side so when the young people kind of migrate over and get their entry-level roles that are going into really really safe spaces um so that's ting and i'm also the host of one podcast where i speak to people about vulnerability um just because i've had a lot of i've had i've not been vulnerable and and it's caused me a lot of pain and i've had to kind of work through my own vulnerabilities um and thought it'd be really helpful for other people to hear other people speaking about their own vulnerabilities on the podcast so that's been happening for three years now I've been um recording that podcast and yeah that's basically it um yeah just that's me I think I think I've managed to get that down into like a really short snippet <laughs> a lovely little nutshell though that is and I, yeah. and I, I enjoy I've listened to a few of the podcast episodes and I think vulnerability is such an important I think discussion because I think without realizing so many of us play it sort of safe and and don't put ourselves out there in lots of ways that then ends up kind of holding us holding us back a little bit and what with with the podcast and with when you're talking about vulnerability what are the sort of main things that you tend to sort of explore so we, we talk about different topics in each podcast but if I was to think about like the one kind of like reoccurring theme that comes up um with each individual story it would be courage it's like the courage to step into vulnerability and to do the thing that scares you or to look um to look into that part of your like the soul that you've ignored or like your past that you've ignored or behaviors that are toxic to you to you that you have that you've ignored it's like the courage to like look at those things um and and address them and then have your life improve as a result. Like that's the, I would say that's like the main kind of theme that comes out of every conversation that I have on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, I, and I think that's what I resonated so much with, with so much of what you kind of share and, and talk about, because for me, the two underpinnings of everything I do as a coach and obviously starting the Curiosity Club is, is how can we all tap into being more curious and mm. courageous? Mm. And those, I think if we can, practice because it's sometimes challenging especially oh, wow. <laughs> to unpack those areas of us or to step out of our comfort zone it can be challenging but ultimately I to me and I think we sort of we resonate a little bit on this together is, is that if we can tap or each as individuals tap into courage tap, be curious about those bits where we need to be more vulnerable or unpack or work through I think that to me that's what a successful happy life is yeah yeah, I completely resonate with that. I just, I think um, 
I speak a lot about my personal story on a lot of different platforms, podcasts and whatever else. And so like, um, I was literally saying this to someone yesterday, I think kind of like throughout my life I've kind of made friends like out of trauma, if that makes sense, just based on where I was in my life. So people that have reflected the parts that I'm at, but I would say um, like what's kind of coming up quite a bit now is the kind of like, how are you so positive or how are you... I don't know, like living the life that you're living now. And and the answer is, is like the courage to kind of be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm going to um, l- create a better life for myself because there is better. And that means I have to address these things. Um, I don't, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's common. Mm. I just don't, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people have the the courage to look at their, 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 um, their dark stuff and actually deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that some people feel like they're dealing with it, but they are bypassing themselves. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I could probably go into that. I think some people feel like they're dealing with it, but they're they're probably being um, they're spiritually bypassing themselves by like not paying attention to what their needs are and kind of like living in a spiritual plane. I think that's a thing that people do. They kind of get really attached to like mystic stuff to kind of stop them from dealing with their own personal things. I think people, um, I think people become, sometimes people can become really anti, like just really quite moody people as a result of kind of like, oh, the world's done me so wrong. So I don't have to be a better person because this is the life that I've been like, do you know what I mean? Like people get really addicted to that part of their story. And so the courage to kind of look at that and just like realize that it's you, like it's on you, like you have to make the, you've got to kind of see your stuff like apart from and, and step away from all of these things that will take away from you dealing with your things um, and actually do it. And, and that might be going to therapy, that might be journaling, that might be, it's just the work is, the work is solo. The work is by yourself and the work is not external um, to you. I'm sort of nodding along at everything you're saying. I, I totally resonate with it and, and, and agree. And I think, you know, I always talk about with a lot of the coaching and work I do, it's about um, sort of confidence. And whilst people resonate with com- like wanting to be more confident a lot of the time, but I always say actually confident doesn't, confidence doesn't just happen. Confidence comes from taking action. And in order to take action, you've got to be courageous. So it's having the courage yeah. to continuously take action yeah. and not... And, I, and, and so much of that, as you like you exactly as you were saying there, is taking personal responsibility for the the way you're feeling, yeah. um, whatever has happened to you, rather than kind of getting stuck as I you know I did for many years in in you know victim mode of like it's it, everything that's happened to me it's because of them this that you know, mm. the way I feel. Mm-hmm. allowing myself to feel that you know it's holding space for what you feel in knowing that it's okay whatever it is you're feeling but also having the courage to try and do the work whatever that you know, it may be mindset work self-talk yeah. peeling away those layers to go through it yeah you said that I think it's so interesting I think something actually uh, um, a couple of times um, in the uh, the the first episode of this season, we talked with Seema, I uh, talked with Seema Kumar about spiritual bypassing and mm. how important that is, especially in this, the spiritual world, the world of yoga, the love and light culture. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's so, like what you just said there was so interesting of how important, in order to do the work, we've got to go through. We can't yeah. go around. And yeah. that takes courage. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah it's, a, it's a Brené Brown um I don't know, it's like a massive part of her work. She talks about shame, she talks about courage, she talks about guilt, she talks about all of that. And it's like, it's, yeah, courage is such a big thing. And it is, in, and it becomes bigger for me the more I realise, um, or the, the more people I meet and the more stories I hear and the more I see the differences between people that have courage and the people that don't. And, and, the, and the disparity in their life experiences. Like I can see the difference of like people that don't have courage and how their life pans out. Um, and how life happens to them and people that do have courage and the way in which they're able to shape the lives that they have you know and I would just rather be on that side because <laughs> I've, I've I've had a life that has happened to me do you know what I mean and and it's like oh well now now I get to um to create something and, and I get to do that um after looking at my stuff and dealing with it do you know 
Mm-hmm. And that gives you the freedom of choice then, which to me is that's yeah. what makes life exciting, that you have mm-hmm. the freedom to choose where, where you're going. With that with you, and this is, I'm putting you on the spot with this question, but from what you just said there, would, when you kind of, and you've obviously had so many conversations around this specifically, what do you think enables someone to be courageous and, and not? What do you think is the, the barrier that for lots of people... I don't know I don't want to I feel like some of it I think some of it can some of it is I think it's a nature nurture thing I do think it's in you it's either in you or it isn't um but I also feel I say that and I also feel like um everybody has access to information so like there's a there are people that are always just going to get up and just like have courage and do big things um because it's like within them you know they have like big energy around kind of like making change right and then there's other people like me who I I would say I do have that energy but I'm also very much so like someone who researches and like reads a lot about stuff and it's kind of like when you take in information and you see the evidence in front of you and like you read any of Brené Brown stuff and you're like okay I get this this is academic stuff like this is not a woe is me story this is understanding shame and courage this is like really breaking it down in a way that's like this makes sense right this woman has studied thousands of people when it comes to um how they operate within shame and whatever so once you've read that you then make a decision and there were some people that would decide not to make a decision of change based off what they've heard and there are other people that can't um ignore what they've seen Um, and so that I suppose that's a mindset thing, maybe. Um, fear, mindset, and fear. So I do think there's a nature nurture. I think some. I think there are probably a tiny amount of people that are not included me that kind of just like can always rise above the ashes every single time. And then there's and then there's other people that are just I suppose like an average group of people that um, go through stuff and kind of like some may never ever research or look into anything they might just accept it is for what it is and then there's other people that do research into it and make a choice based off what based off fear whether they do something about it or not mm-hmm. um so yeah I suppose that answers your question it's like it's like different groups of people um I'm just a person who cannot know so unknown something as if I know it and I can see how that can make me better. Like, I'm going to get to it. Like, I'm, it might not be right now, but it's like pinned in the back of my head that I need to address that thing at some point. Um, and, that's, and that probably is my nature. Yeah, that's the nature part. And I, I, like, I totally agree with the, the nature nurture part. That some people are just more born with more or less of certain personality yeah. genetically or made up certain ways. But all, I do believe that anyone can learn new might like learn a new way and I suppose so it's anyone listening sort of if it's something you struggle with you know say putting yourself out there or you're struggling stuck in feeling shame or whatever's happening I suppose it's trusting that you can get through it so look you reaching out talking to people working with the coach a therapist as you're saying researching all Brenny Brown's work some incredible videos all of her TED talks and her books and it's absorbing the the information and just trusting that you can Mm -hmm. make make a change to it and I think yeah I I could talk about it for a very long time with you (laughs) but with so recently as well something that I did recently I was very lucky to be a part of your trial group for your one of your workshops with Ting um understanding diversity from an intersectional perspective which was so so insightful and we we spoke a little bit before about that um about how how much I got out of it before we started recording um and I think um, something I was wondering with with lots of your content on Instagram and and with your podcast and obviously your work with Ting you focus a lot around um vulnerability sort of healing anti-racism um is within that as well could you explore a little bit for us of each of these spheres and how in your opinion they sort of integrate um okay that's a good question so we have like so I'll start with so we start with vulnerability so I was kind of spoken a little bit about my kind of entryway into being more vulnerable as a result of just like life experiences um things that happened to me like the way her life was just kind of thrown at me and I had to kind of navigate my way through that as a child um and then the healing kind of naturally comes out of that so for me it's kind of like 
the older I get and the more responsibility that I take for my own future and the more courage I get for making change, it's like I have to heal aspects of um, my life that really harmed me. Um, and I'm using me as an example. Like this is the reason why I talk about it on social media is because I feel like it's something that people can resonate with, right? And I use my own experiences as ways to kind of like make it applicable to other people. Um, and then the anti-racism stuff, I, during, during lockdown, during Black, like Black Lives Matter and everything else, I just had a real realization and I feel like I'm late to the party on this. So obviously there are people that were like, of course, Rochelle. But I had a realization that everything is political, like everything is, and we don't get to opt out of, like I never get to opt out of being a black woman. Um, and and anti-racism on the other side in terms of like being black and kind of like wanting an anti-racist society is so that I can heal, is so that I can be vulnerable, is, is so that I can be me in spaces. It, it means that an anti-racist world means that I get to be a fuller human being um, and every other black person in the world as well, an anti-black racism world, um, racist world means that. And so like the things then, I just had this realization that I couldn't, as much as I, as much as it's uncomfortable work, even for, I think, how can I say this? It's uncomfortable work for everybody. Like I think that I hope that there's no, I hope that there isn't a misunderstanding or kind of like this feeling that it's easier for black people to kind of talk about racism. And I think it definitely, it's it's something that we're more used to because we've had to for a very long time like I um I remember the first time I remember knowing that I was black is when I went to Blackpool <laughs> I was in Blackpool and um I made a friend um a little white girl in I don't know probably was like five um and it was a youth center trip so I went with the youth center up to Blackpool made this friend in the pool um as you do as a kid you make friends with other kids and we were cool, like we were hanging out and I remember like really liking her. And I remember her mum called her um, to speak to her about something. And she came over and she came over looking really, really sad. I'm like, whatever I'm doing, I'm building my sandcastle and she's coming over. And she said, oh, my mum said I'm not allowed to hang around with black people. And I was like, I was really sad because, not because I realized I was black, but I because I had just like lost a friend, if that made sense. And it was one of those things where it was just like, I don't know, there's, there's a part of, I suppose, um, it's just so, it's such an interesting thing to kind of understand the mind of a child, right? There was a thing that neither her mum had told her she wasn't allowed to do something. And I knew that I wasn't able to kind of have any change. So there was a part of me that was like, her mum has made, her mum has said that she can't do something. We have to listen to adults, right? That thing is, she's not allowed to hang around with me because I'm black. I can't change that. She can't be my friend. It was very like, very logical way of kind of like looking at it. But the sadness was there. The sadness was that I couldn't be, I couldn't hang around with her for that day, right? Whilst I was in Blackpool. So I was like, okay, cool. Now I'm by myself, right? So that was like the first time I had to, I remember kind of like knowing that I was black and having like an overtly racist thing happen. Um, but then since then, you you obviously tell the youth workers and you tell your mom and you tell, and then you get kind of like thrust into this like conversation about race because now it's time to have it. In, in, same, in a similar way to when a, girl has her first period and that all of this conversation about womanhood starts happening around what that means for your body and puberty and whatever else it's kind of like race but at five years old right and so um, I say that to say I don't want there to be an assumption that because we are used to having conversations about race that it's any less traumatic for us to do so or hard for us to do so um, and so I think over the years I've studied this stuff, like I've I've looked into it to understand it, like from an, an academic level, just to kind of like like make sense of some of the like insane insane things I was experiencing. I had to do that. I also had to um, study it for part of my degree. I did youth work and community, so I did a part of that in my degree as well. Um, but also, just naturally decided that for my mental health, I didn't want to. Like it became too much. Like I did, I wanted to d divorce that kind of like um, 
I wanted to not have to think about race all the time. Like I just didn't want to have to do it. And that wasn't me saying, oh, I'm going to like forget that I'm a black woman and I don't, and I'm just going to pretend that none of this exists. It's like, no, I'm going to live my life to the best of my ability. And I'm going to kind of have boundaries about how much I kind of integrate this type of conversation. Because the, the deeper it gets, the more crazy you can get. Because the more you realize how, um, how much the world has literally been built to kind of like stop us from being human and so in Black Lives Matter during lockdown my realization was that as much as that was a very uncomfortable the, the shadow work of it all was kind of like I actually don't get to do that anymore like I actually I don't get to do that and so incorporating that into vulnerability and healing um for me was healing for me essentially it really really was and it was it was something that was it was something that I was able to look at with a different lens um yeah and I if I can give one more example on that just one more because I'm very very good at, at talking for ages um that I'm going I'm going to generally speaking obviously not for everybody because we can never do that but there's a time in every black person's life when they realize um how deep and dark this stuff is and that tends to be I would say about 15 like when people really start to get it and they're like whoa and that can send people in so many different directions and um, some people can literally end up in mental institutions as a result of realizing that um and I I definitely became really, really quite militant in kind of like my, um, in the way in which I kind of related to the outside world uh, because of the information that I was reading. I was going to the library, I was getting all of these books. And, and on the flip side of that, I want to give you an example of when I was working in a school and um, one of the English teachers had set a creative writing assignment and just kind of tasked all of the students to write something, write about something they were passionate about. And one of the students, a black girl, decided to write about race. Um, and the, the tutor, the teacher sent her, sent her assignment to me. And I'm not a teacher, by the way. And was just like, hi, Michelle, um, you might want to have a talk with her about this. She seems quite angry, just very flippantly. This was like two years ago, three years ago, right? The anger that I felt that she was just like, oh, yeah, this is something that you need to deal with because you're black. Right. This is why I left working in education, because it was just too much. Um, and I emailed her back and I just said, hi, um, it's really important that you understand that anger is a natural part of the process. When someone starts to understand that the world that has been created around them is vile and it's kind of set out to kind of like really kind of like criminalize their people. Like, how can you not expect someone to be angry? And how can you kind of like, um, how can you kind of refer this young person like they're a terrorist? I just, I didn't really get it. It was just, it was, it was a very privileged thing to do. Um, and, it, and it's that type of behavior that kind of like, that incenses people and, and, and makes people um, like, yeah, it just makes people kind of just really struggle <laughs> essentially. That type of flipping like, oh, this is not about me. Um, and so, yeah, like, it's what I'm saying is that that integration is really, really important, and it has become more important for me, um, especially over the last couple of months. Like because there's so much, there's so much of that work that is vital to the healing of our community, um, and vital to the healing of the world when it comes to allowing people to show up as their their full human being selves, like in every single space, like everybody. Um, and historically, we've not been able to do that because of because of white supremacy. So. So yeah, I think on the outside, it's like, oh, like how does she do healing vulnerability and anti-racism? How does that work? Um, yeah, and if it had been up to me and my and me kind of like make it, I wouldn't say if it had been up to me, obviously everything is up to me, but I'm like, I'm of the mind of like, you're surrendered to what the universe wants you to do, or you kind of, you kind of like make a comfortable route for yourself. And I'm the surrender type. And if I was to make a comfortable route for myself, I wouldn't be speaking about this at all because it's a lot. Um, but the surrender part of me is like, oh, no, you have to, you've got to do this. So like you said, you've been on the course. <laughs> so I created the course and then you came on one of the, um, the sessions and yeah, it's in so far, it's, it's not been too bad. And I, think, and I'm, I, I, as a white person and, and 
you're doing your workshop and then I've, I've also done Jess Malley's four week introduction to um, anti-racism sort of since then. And I think since for, particularly doing your, the workshop, which was our last month or so. Yeah. And so, and now like, it, you know, the letting it kind of sit and beginning to take action and doing the, what the work, but it's having the realizations that as a, as a white person for all white people in order to allow that healing and, and in order to allow um in particular black people the black community to heal we have to acknowledge the trauma and mm-hmm. and a huge part of that is not having these conversations you were saying it's so traumatic for to for so many people to talk about to talk about these things to have those realizations as you said that, that when you're 15 as a teenager that the world isn't built for you mm-hmm. and it's you know like as it's that yeah you know, i can't find the words because i can't i haven't had the experience and i think mm-hmm. it, acknowledging that and like that is where and i think today we said we were sort of looking at and unpacking the the stepping into anti-racism mm-hmm. work and i think as a white person that is First, it's acknowledging the trauma, acknowledging the systems, white supremacy, not being afraid to use those terms, which yeah. even a few months ago, I would have sort of cringed away and been like, oh, no, no, I, you know, calling myself white and all of those things. But doing your workshop in particular was the, the, the kind of helping me understand how important it is to use certain terminology to accept it to understand it to do more learning because otherwise we're going to be stuck in the same system I think you're right I think I've been and I've said this to um some white people when I used to work in education and I kind of like killed the room (laughs) and I said I feel like white people um were they they basically would rather be racist than be called racist, if that makes sense. It's kind of like, don't call me racist. If I do racist stuff, like, it, like I don't want to address that, but don't say the word. Like, there's this whole kind of, there's this, this, yeah, there's like a complete difference between um, the actual actions of racism. And maybe, maybe, maybe there was a complete misunderstanding around um, what racism is because obviously we go off dictionary definitions don't we we go off what we've been told and so when people are um thinking about when I suppose the, the average uneducated white person is is going to be thinking that racism is about saying the n-word or being mean to people of color um I mean it's it's like it's like 1.5 percent of what racism is do you know what I mean and so I think historically, I think you're right about the um, understanding the trauma and 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 the conversations about um, about trauma when it comes to like anti-black racism specifically. Um, but yeah, I think historically, especially for me, I felt like okay, especially with Rennie Ed- Rennie Edo Lodge's book, why I'm no longer speaking to white people about race. She kind of like really really puts this into like. Um, an easy way of understanding but we're having two different conversations like we're just have we black people who have experienced racism we like <laughs> we are given phds in this understanding of how this stuff works because in order to kind of survive we have to understand it right you've got to understand the beast within 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 in which you live in that's it in which you live in you have to understand the beast and so we have these phds and you've got the white um demographic of the world who are who are basically doing phonics do you know what i mean and it's kind of like how are we having and this is before black lives matter this is before that so i think now it's 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 not evened it out but it's been it's enabled us to have more of a conversation that's based on um some type of level of understanding where before it was like oh i actually can't even do this because that's traumatic in itself to kind of be speaking to someone who denies its existence and doesn't even know that to be true because their life isn't impacted by it so it's kind of like what in the gaslighting is going on here (laughs) it's just yeah I think I kind of feel like racism as much as it's a very very real thing and I'm not going to hopefully like people don't take me offended by what I say but I feel like if if we lived in a world that didn't have racism and then there was some type of comic book that was written about this world that had racism in it it would be like what the hell is this thing like people wouldn't understand it because it doesn't make any sense like at all but it's it's like ruins people's lives and 
and is perpetuated society to a place where we have Donald Trump as a president, like which is completely ridiculous. Like it's, it's like, what the hell is this? It's mad. Like so, yeah. I think, um, yeah. I just think that's where I'm at when it comes to um, <laughs> when it comes to the anti-racism stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like I've answered your question. I've definitely waffled a lot. You absolutely have, and I think it's all. And I, I'm so thankful for all the work you've done, even in just the little my, the. the that workshop and everything you've shared on your Instagram as well, because it has really opened my eyes. I, and I, my sort of, as a white person to speaking to white people would be to God, just acknowledge the fact that, as you said, racism, that, that racism that you just mentioned there, that's the 1.5% mm-hmm. or actually being that, that, but that kind of outwardly, as you said, using the N word, all of those, that's, that's, that's just the, not a drop in the ocean so it's mm-hmm. acknowledging that and and I think the fact of coming back to vulnerability again and the, the healing I think for the existence of of black people and, and many other um people of color within the white supremacy system in its very self is to be vulnerable would you would you agree with, with that can you just repeat that question? You Would you? It's, it kind of, I was just like, as you were thinking, that, speaking then, I was saying like the, even the exist, having to exist as a black person in the uh, system of white supremacy is mm-hmm. being vulnerable without uh, yeah. without a choice. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's um, yeah. It's like without a choice, but it's like dangerous. So vulnerability, like and the vulnerability that I speak of is kind of like embracing it as a strength and this kind of inner the vulnerability that exists as a black person in a white supremacist society is not the same. It's like, no, that's vulnerability that can have you die. Like that's a vulnerability that's like completely unsafe. That's like swimming with sharks vulnerability. Like, like, why would you do that? <laughs> but we have no choice. Do you know what I mean? Like if someone jumped into a, a, like a pool of sharks, you would be like, oh, it was their fault um, because they jumped in. But like, we don't jump in. <laughs> like we're just, it's just there. And we're just like consistently. So it is, that is vulnerability for sure, but it's just a different type of vulnerability. It's, um, yeah, it's like, yeah, so, yeah, it's a different type of vulnerability. It's, it's not the same, but it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's the, flip, the flip side, as you said, you, you, what you very much talk about is the positive side, the empowering side of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, that it's a life or death, negative, like, it, yeah. It, essentially comes down to with a lot of we, we've sort of spoken about before as well um and, and i've seen you talk about it on instagram as well a lot the kind of the need for releasing shame in order yeah. to work before stepping into anti-racism can you talk that about that a little bit yeah so so yeah so my kind of understanding of releasing shame and this is specifically um towards white people the shame that white people i imagine will be feeling as a result of um, under, coming into this explosion of consciousness that's taking place right now, this kind of like all this new information, um, all of the Netflix documentaries that have been watched and all of the, you know, the uh, um, seminars that have been attended and all of that. Um, this is going to be a lot of new information. And yeah, in the same way that I said about, um, you know, about 15 years old, the average black child realizes that the world is just absolutely ridiculous. Like I can imagine for a lot of white people at many different ages, they are realizing, hold on. And for those who want to do the work, they're real, they're having a massive realization. And so what will come with that is, I suppose, as the perpetrator, um, and the upholder of racism for so long, especially if someone's like 50 plus, like they've and had years in the game and kind of just not knowing this stuff, right? Um, there's it's bound to be shame. There's bound to be a lot of shame that comes up, a lot of guilt. Um, my thing is don't get stuck in the shame. You can't get stuck there. I mean, you can feel it because it's natural and it will come up for you. And I think it's important that you pay it, that you that you acknowledge it and allow it to kind of like um breathe if that makes sense um and you know maybe journal about the shame that you feel um and kind of just pay attention to it like don't dis like don't bypass your shame but but staying in shame is 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 a privilege like shame staying in shame and having it make you inactive as a result of the shame that you feel is a privilege um in itself and so yeah i think for me as just <sighs> 
I don't know. I don't really have a name. I don't have a title. I don't call myself. I'm not an activist. I wouldn't say that. Like, and I wouldn't say I'm an anti-racism educator. Like, I don't really have a term for what I do. I'm not a coach or anything like that. But as a person, like, I just don't feel like it's um. I don't think it's it's good to ignore um the shame that comes up. Like we've been saying, shame, guilt, and vulnerability and courage are really massive parts of our human experience and so anything that centers around any of those things you have to pay attention to it even if that's realizing you were racist or have contributed to being a Karen more times than you would have liked to or have um yeah you've got you've got to sit in that and but don't stay there don't stay there and there's so many you know ways in which you can mobilize as they say in the activist community there's so many ways in which you can mobilize and I'm not going to go into them now because I just don't want to repeat what a million people have said but I think it's um yeah I just think that not getting stuck in shame is like the biggest um thing that you can do or like yeah the biggest the best thing that you can do when it comes to anti-racism work and maybe I will also add this as well I think that um I think that shame will always circle back. So I think that you'll feel shame and then you'll mobilize out of it and there'll be more shame and then you'll need to mobilize out of that as well. And it will keep coming up in the same way that our past always kind of like sprinkles um, memories, like in our, like in our present, um, things that we don't necessarily want to remember that comes up and it's like, oh, that, that, that thing is still there. I need to work on that. Um, it's fine, work on it. And I, what we talk about a lot in the workshop is the importance of silent assignments as well, kind of just doing things and not necessarily making big announcements about what you're doing. Um, and that's another part of it as well. Kind of, so, yeah, not getting stuck in shame, um, mobilizing yourself out of it, maybe journaling, journaling, journaling it when it comes up, um, looking at why that shame is there, like addressing it. And then um, moving forward. And the courage, I think that's what's nice about like- And it is courage. Back, yeah, back to the courage to move for anything. From, yeah. For me in the last couple of months has, has kind of been what has happened. And from whereas before, especially in the last few years in the, it, it, with, it's been sort of bubbling away, I think for more and more um, white individuals like myself knowing it's there but being stuck I would say that for me personally in the last years I've been stuck in that shame of as too many other of my yeah um white people they have the what if I say the wrong thing I don't want to but I'm not racist I, but I'm a good it's am I a bad I'm a bad person if I'm racist I'm not I'm a good person I'm not I'm not racist and therefore not doing the work that is needed to be a true ally and to become yeah. And that what for me and I am seeing in other people and anyone listening to this if you have found yourself not taking action or um doing more than just sharing a black square or um only donating and not doing any of the inner work yourself mm -hmm. because you are worried in a fear stuck in fear of saying the wrong thing or any of that I would say as you said mobilize I love that the way you use that term mm -hmm. have the courage to acknowledge that the fact that you have biases and um, racist tendencies, we all do, I do, and it's not that we're not bad, I'm not a bad person for that, it's because we're all existing in a white supremacist system, and that's the problem, and that's what we all need to unpick and until on uh, a dismantle until we mm -hmm. acknowledge this within ourselves. And doing the work, so doing anti-racism workshops, trainings, of which there are so many incredible um, resources coming out at the moment, reading the books, but as you said, most importantly, taking the action, not being performative and just sharing it on your Instagram stories when you do this, but doing it behind the scenes in real life at work with your colleagues, with your bosses, with mm. those family members, having those uncomfortable conversations because mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. And for me, and that was doing very much your workshop, everything you've, all your content you've shared, Jess Malley as well, who um, who I did her four-week course and all of her content, reading um, why well, I'm no longer talking to white people about race, all of this stuff. I would, a few months ago, that was different. So that was, that's sort of my message to, uh, to uh, the white people that find themselves stuck in, in that, and that shame, releasing that shame, because nothing will change unless yeah. we, as white people, do that. Shame is not, in this in particular or ever isn't helpful it's there 
and that's okay as you said holding space for it journaling through it but understanding that actually you one of the I was such a profound exercise you did at the very beginning of of the workshop around Mm -hmm. understanding identity which Mm -hmm. really like kind of hammered this home and everyone um, and lots of lots of other people in the the, the workshop as well was that um reflection you did on the the I am exercise yeah yeah and and you Rochelle got us to write down I think was it 10 I am that you are yeah um, um, can you tell us a little bit about that? About oh that? yeah, do you want to kind of just like on what you were just saying before I move into that? Like, um, for me, it's kind of like the aim as like the world as a society is to make this make the world better for people that um, for people outside of yourself. Like, so like, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like I, as an able-bodied woman, I experience the world in one way, and I'm like my goal to make sure that women that are not able-bodied or people that are not able-bodied get to experience the world in the same way that I do, right? Or in a, in a, in a way that's like equal. So it's kind of like looking at anti-racism work for white people that, you know, that are maybe kind of like need to get over themselves when, it's, when they're talking about, I'm not racist or any of that. It's kind of like, how can you make the world better for someone who isn't you? Like, like what can you do for people that are not like you? Um, that I am exercise I love doing that I've been doing it for years um and it was so interesting doing it with your group as well because since I left education I haven't done it so this was the first time in years that I had and it was exactly the same so that just tells me that's like my research in itself that like nothing is really changing um I ask people to write down 10 things that they are and um every time I've done this and every group I've ever done it, like all of the people of color have listed their their race or ethnicity first. Um, And the white people have never ever done it ever, (laughs) ever. Like I've never had a woman say or anyone say I am white. And that's always fascinating to kind of have that play out in real life. It's it's more impactful in in real life, like in a room when you can kind of see everybody, like that's way more impactful then. but yeah, it's it's just an interesting way to kind of look at the ways in which society consistently reinforces. In a world that white people would like to tell you, oh, hey, I don't see colour, it's kind of like, well, clearly you do. Because every person of colour knows what colour they are. They're very, very clear about it. Um, maybe you don't see your own because <laughs> you don't mention it at all ever. Um, and you just get to be you, like you just get to be you as a person um and so yeah I love doing that activity and you know like I just said doing it on zoom was really interesting because um it is it's something that when I've done in real life it can take 45 minutes it can really take to have a real discussion and to kind of really really bring out people's um stuff can take a long time and it's so powerful I would definitely I would always spend like double periods doing that class easily um but on Zoom, it was different. I felt like I, I, I couldn't spend too long there. But like I, and every, all the feedback I've had is that the exercise, they loved it and that they would like to do it for a little bit longer and unpack it for a little bit longer. Um, yeah. And it was so powerful. And I think that, as you said, that phrase, which since doing that exercise, I knew it was problematic before, the phrase, um, I don't see colour, which I think in the past, like not in the, in the exact words, but I've definitely been guilty of kind of feeling along those lines, like, oh, I don't, like, nah. but doing that exercise, realising as, so, so Rochelle then got everyone to sort of begin to share what was their list. And I think, can't remember exactly, mine was something like, uh, I am a woman, I'm a business owner, I am a coach. I think I'm a coach was first. So that was interesting that that's the main part of my identity. To so all these 10 things, nothing about my skin color even the fact that I think was English or I don't think anything there was nothing there and then hearing everyone else's as you said and it was that was only the white people not a single white person put I don't think in at all of their 10 that I think they that they said and that just hammered home because we've never had to think about it and so for anyone has ever thought anything along the lines of oh but I don't see color that in itself is your privilege and that yeah. is what I want like to again for any any the white listeners to realize that is a privilege as you you said for for any um the people of color it's when they're five years old it's because it's enforced they all they have those all those experiences so 
it, when it's so problematic for white people to say that because it again it just takes away yeah it's like we don't see you but yeah. we do because we know that society is shit for you because we we don't intervene and make sure it isn't so we do see you but we just but we're going to pretend that we don't um there's two things there the only thing that white people kind of say that allude to their um character personality is where they're from so they might say oh, i'm northern Mm. if they're this is London based obviously I do this in London so they might say oh I'm from Leeds or whatever and then that's really interesting for me because it's kind of like you notice that because you're here in London and and Londoners make you know fun of people's accents and and say things like oh you, do you know what I mean like I as I'm from Birmingham I get it so like that part of it, your identity has been made really strong because you're out of your space. So in within that, there should be some type of um, understanding of how that might feel like on an extreme level for people of colour. Um, and it, I also wanted to say, in your session, there was one black person who didn't say I am black first, but she said, I'm weary, I'm tired. Um, and so I thought that was interesting because I've never heard that before. It's always been I'm black first. And when I when I asked her what that what would that what would that was about, she said it was because of being black. So it was related essentially to her black experience. Um, so yeah, that activity. If anybody wants to try that out, if you're a teacher or like a workshop leader, I would definitely say um, try that out and just kind of see what comes up um, for people. Mm, yeah it was it was so so interesting reflecting on it afterwards in 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 itself just to see what you identify what are the main things but then mm. said it to see the difference in the comparison reflect on mm-hmm. how much of that is because of yeah where were you born who the body you were born in the, all of those things um i think is so so important with with the kind of sort of encapsulating everything we've spoken about how what would be your kind of tips for people to be able to step into being more vulnerable which as we know from that we were talking about can help stepping into anti-racist racist mm-hmm. work um which i think is I, i'm hoping that this episode is really really going to help people to do because i think even and i'll, I'll say it to just encourage that even more that i think i would have been too six months ago i would have been even too afraid to have these conversations so it's mm-hmm. just i think and I, and I think and coming back to that amazing word mobilizing yourself um yeah what would be your tools to help to helping people just um I suppose that's a two-part question generally vulnerability in all areas for everyone but then also for um any white listeners in order to step into anti-racism work I think it's just repeating what we've said it's courage isn't it it's that courage it's that like it's that knowing that it's about to be really hard and it will change your life and you might lose friends and you might even lose your your husband or your wife. You might, you might, your whole life might change depending on how um, much you want to commit to making the world a better place for everyone apart from you. Um, Not apart from you, including you. Um, And that takes courage. And it takes a lot. I think there's a, a real conversation that needs to be had about how courageous are you? How much are you willing to do? Um, because I think there needs to be, we need to manage our own expectations when it comes to kind of like <laughs> this knee jerk reaction. I've seen a lot of white people kind of just like get into a radical mode. And it's just be like, yo, guys, we've been fighting, we've been doing this for hundreds of years like we appreciate the enthusiasm but this is a long this is a long game um and so I know that I'm not going to see like I'm not going to get to live the life and and be as excellent as I could have been in my lifetime I just it's not a thing I don't see that like I'm going to be great I'm going to do great things if there was no racism I could have been better I have a friend my friend is so funny he's um He's, he's, he's obviously black, but he, he every now and then he makes a joke about kind of like, I wanted to be a scientist, but you know, institutional racism. Like, he's, that's his like ongoing, like inside joke. And it's funny and we laugh about it, but the truth is he's actually a genius and he could have been so many things. And he's like, you know, trying his best. Like he's always trying his best to just kind of navigate whatever's in front of him. Um, and so, and so the idea that we can kind of like kick into or white people can kick into some kind of like knee jerk, everything needs to change now. Um, it's also a privilege, isn't it? It's kind of like, 
you know, the Karens of the world get to say, I don't like this. We need to change this now. Where's your manager? <laughs> and it's like, well, the world doesn't work like that for us. And so like, this is a long game. This is like, a, this is a dismantling of institutions. This is going to take the best part of the next hundred years to create some type of parity. And so the courage that will need to be taken the courage that is needed by individuals to kind of commit to the long game is where it's at for me. It's kind of like, it's not about Instagram. It's about, it's about this work long-term. Um, it's people like Jane Elliott who started doing her blue eyebrow line experiment in schools in the fifties and then got banned from education and is still doing it now. Like she's still doing it. She just does it in ways that she's able to kind of do it now. Um, yeah, she got banned from delivering it in schools, essentially, at the very, very beginning. And it's like she made a decision that she wasn't going to stop because the school banned her. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like this is a life commitment. This is a world. I'm, I'm creating a world that will be better for my great grandchildren. Um, I'm hoping that whenever that happens in like 2100 and whatever, that they're going to be born into a world and not have to think about their person and they just get to be um and so yeah it, i think it, what the the to answer your question is courage to the long haul Co courage to making changes today that will make um really really massive changes in the future that you won't see so it's like leila saad says about being a good ancestor um, and the commitment that we have to just like we are ancestors regardless of how we want to kind of like admit that to ourselves because we're still here alive and breathing we're going to be ancestors at some point like that's inevitable like nobody gets out of that it's like are you going to be a good one or are you going to be a trash ancestor this <laughs> is like I want to be um I want to do all of the things that I need to do so that when I'm dead and gone that you know my descendants feel like they can they 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 can be like oh you know auntie Rochelle did these amazing things like I want them to know that like I've made changes and I think I think for white people um this is history now isn't this is like major history this is going to be written down and in the future you know our grandchildren great-grandchildren are going to read about the year 2020 when shit hit the fan and it's going to be really really clear about which and which side of the ancestry fence you were on were you part of the the MAGA hat wearing no mask wearing kind of like bigots or were you people that want to me it's two to two extremes it's kind of like there's no middle for me there's no middle because the middle is death for a lot of black people it's like that kind of sitting on the fence I'm not racist that's the middle and um like where did you sit did you kind of did you have conversations with your children? Did you make changes? Did you kind of ask the school that your children were going to for their anti-racism policy? Does that mean now the school that I, cause you know, you have families that go to, I'm, I'm waffling again, but I'm trying to make this point. Um, when I went to school and I'm not sure if it's any different now, but there were like, there were like students in my school whose parents went to my school, who's, you know, and it was like that the school was an institution for like whole families, right? And so, like, if you're a family, if you're a person who has a kid in the school now and can kind of, like, get that school to kind of implement an anti-racist policy, your grandchildren, if you're in the same area, are going to go to that school and they're going to be able to be like, oh, uh, my school's always been anti-racist and they can figure out that their grandparent made a change in that way. Does that make sense? It's like, there are so many things you can do, but just knowing that you're leaving the world um, at some point, it's like, well, how are you going to make it better for people because, um, well, you know, it's all heading, I don't want to be negative, but like, it's a shit show <laughs> and it could get so much worse. It really, really could. Um, and so I think, I think 2020 is an opportunity for us to really change the direction in which we're heading when it comes to um, race. I really think it's an opportunity and I'm hoping that the opportunity is um, seized with both hands and 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 it it goes in a way that enables everybody to have a better life experience in the next hundred years or so. Yeah, and I love, I love that so much. The idea of just reminding ourselves in this opportunity that twenty twenty has given us. What do we want our great 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 grand 
children, nieces, whatever it might be, to say about us that we did now. I think reminding ourselves of that, get clear of that journal around that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I love that so much. Yeah. Um, there was a, one last little question that I re- really, I wanted to ask you because I, your new, your recent new series, 100 Ways to Heal, that you're doing yeah. on Instagram, which I absolutely love. I've been devouring those. You see, um, I don't know if you saw last night's, yeah, um, that, I think that's my favourite one so far. We spoke about astrology, me and my friend, the astrology vixen. We spoke about healing the shadow via astrology. And it was so I that was a really good conversation. So if you have a moment, definitely like put it that's, on in the background today. That's gonna be my weekend listening. It absolutely <laughs> is. But something I really wanted to just sort of you for you to quickly touch upon. And your I heard you sort of talk about that. I think it's your idea around creating a series. There's the different types of healing. The, you call it the physical, the spiritual, the, the political. Mm. I was wondering, could you just talk talk about briefly around those a little bit and that because I think it was so useful for people to see it in those different like to really understand what healing means yeah I'm so funny I'm like did I say that <laughs> possibly I've written it down somewhere and I was trying to make it make sense to other people so um oh yeah as a Virgo I'm very much so like everybody needs to do something like this everything needs to be linear it needs to be clean it needs to be in neat boxes and um that's like the the unevolved part of my Virgo. The evolved part of my Virgo lets me know that people get to do things in ways that make sense to them. <laughs> and so for me, I'm like, I'm big on healing for all of the reasons that I've explained, but I, I am so aware and have so many amazing conversations with people that access healing from different points. Um, and I wanted to kind of talk about how important healing is and so I created the series 100 Ways to Heal and I've committed to doing 100 episodes, which is like two years of content. And I'm like, let me know. I've done four so far. So I'm like, ah, two years ago. Um, and to kind of demonstrate the ways in which people come towards their healing. So like I said, it, you know, it can be political. It can be, I could be speaking to an activist one day about making the world a better place for people. Um, it could be about climate change it could be about yeah healing the world in terms of that there's so many different ways in which we access healing and I just don't want it I think I think within the love and light healing community I think that a lot of um the word healing is just thrown into a woo-woo box and it doesn't deserve to live there because because healing is everything like healing is about every aspect of who we are and the way in which we um experience different systems and and things and I just feel like healing is everything everything is healing so um and that and that and yeah that and also that kind of acknowledgement has drawn me you said I'm going to get out of my own ego a little bit because at the very beginning this kind of young person anger ego that I had about I'm I'm doing all of this amazing stuff with my healing journey and because you're not in therapy you're not as good as me like I didn't I wouldn't I don't say it was that bad but like when you when you start something and you feel like you're enlightened it's like ego that comes in like that yogi that kind of enlightened arrogant annoying yogi it's like that kind of energy it's like it's actually not about that your healing journey um, is like I said to be a good ancestor for your family too it's, it's a very solo kind of something it's a very solo silent assignment right um, and there are so many different journeys and they all should they and I want to kind of just create a platform for that so that's what that is and yeah I actually really enjoy that now um, as much as I I don't like lives and stuff like that that being in front of camera um, I do enjoy having those chats with people if you were to encapsulate into sort of a nutshell, you've given loads in, in this conversation already, but the kind of biggest bit of advice for the listeners, what would that be? I feel like I'm just going to repeat myself, you know. And I, I, if anyone was looking for anything profound, I'm just going to say develop the courage again. Like, it's just so big, isn't it? I Like, I just can't, I don't really have anything more profound to say about um, about life then the courage I can I can see where courage has taken me and how important it is to like um look at your shadow and do something about it we all have a shadow um I will say this maybe I'll say this um yesterday in the 100 ways to heal episode we spoke a tiny tiny bit about the way in which the world if you're from like a religious space maybe mostly Christian and then yeah religious in general 
um, would look at the shadow as a sin and as something that needs to be separate to who you are. Like, we don't do sin, sin is bad. And it depends on how religious you are. You even need to release it like from your body, like get rid of the flesh, the flesh is sin. And the shadow is very much more so about integration and kind of like looking at those parts of you that are insecure or judgmental or live in comparison or whatever and kind of figuring out why it's there and doing something about it which takes courage <laughs> so going it's always it always goes back to that um it always goes back to courage and just like having having this the yeah the courage the strength to look at your stuff and then do something about it it always is and, it, and with that as as we've talked at the beginning how much I agree with that as well it's it's always good to hammer it home just keep tapping into that courage and I was describe it as courage is a muscle the more you use it the stronger mm-hmm. it's going to get the easier it is to use mm-hmm. another question that I love to ask everyone at the end is what does curiosity mean to you curiosity is all about yeah it's inquisitiveness it's about looking it's about kind of um, digging deep it's about um wanting more information it's about wanting to be better um curiosity to me isn't a bad thing because I think that the saying curiosity killed the cat people say that to children when children are being like nosy and stuff it's kind of like it I don't see it in a bad way I see it as a good way if someone's curious it tells me that their brain is like um it's, it's they're the type of person that wants to know more that wants more information it's kind of like the difference between I saw a, was I reading a book I was reading a book and this is like I was reading a book about um, the difference between people that kind of just get a laptop and then like use whatever Internet Explorer is there compared to downloading Google Chrome. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a Google Chrome person. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's the, that's the part of your brain that's like willing to go the extra step. It's like, you know that you would rather have a better user experience. And so you go further and you download Google Chrome and you don't use Safari or Internet Explorer. And that's curiosity to me. It's kind of like the extra step. Mm-hmm. Mm, I know I really like that as a little way. I, I always like that there's an just type of person or that I think that's yeah yeah of putting it I think lots of the time as, as you said I suppose what I took from what you're just saying there that to be curious takes courage a lot of the time mm-hmm. and it's ta- and that, again nice full circle to round mm-hmm. things off again coming back to how important that is mm-hmm. where can people find more about you and your work so um I could be so much better at social media I'm not like I am I'm there like I'm about but my social media is Alyssa Rochelle so that's A-double-L-Y-S-A-R-O-C-H-E-double-L-E um and when you come over there you'll find links to everything else I'm not going to kind of like bore you with links for Ting and da 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 it's all on my Alyssa Rochelle profile um but yeah thank you Katya I've actually really enjoyed this conversation I really do love podcast as I've been interviewed it's different on the other side um making me think about answers <laughs> to questions you're used to answer, answering the questions I hand handing the mic over but it's been amazing to talk to you and thank you so so much for coming to do so no thank you if you enjoyed this episode make sure you leave a rating and review letting me know what your biggest takeaways were I love reading each and every one Thank you to Simproof for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget that you can get 15% off with discount code CuriosityClub15. As we're all curious folk around here, why not head over to simprove.com to find out more. Until next time, stay curious.